Hello, in the beginning there was a big bang which led me to the creation of brief history of time. Now from beyond the grave. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-
here anywhere near those places I th to be honest i think you can just order online as well and they'll like you know if you get your address right they'll send it out to the the address that you put because they're they're, they're on the ball muggins here isn't if you do take duke's advice and you are wanting to pick up some craft beer some <laughs> some fine coffee if you're driving around in Dunfermline, you're stopped at a set of traffic lights and you get a tap on the window <laughs> by a blue-skinned redhead, <laughs> don't wind it down because the response will be, Hi, I'd do anything for coffee. <laughs> I'd do anything for craft beer. Well, that, that is usually the point in the show where you wore the tone. So, yeah, that's, that's that out the road. Dave, <laughs> you filth peddler. <laughs> I feel like I should be your pimp or something here. But... <laughs> as long as you wear the fedora with the, the, the feather and like a pink uh, purple suit and you have the, the pimp cane and stuff as well. You have to complete the look. <laughs> I'm going to rename this episode. It's no longer going to be on our, our topic, which we'll introduce in a second. I'm going to, I'm going to call this episode four. Duke will do anything for coffee. <laughs> uh, if we get any responses, I'm already not looking forward to them. <laughs> well, my advice, go back to being a regular kid. I don't have a choice. Kingpin's got a super collider. He's trying to kill me. Wait a second, what did you just say? Kingpin's trying to kill well, who me. Who cares about that? Where's the collider? Brooklyn, under Fist Tower. Goodbye. Where are you going? When it runs again, I'll just jump in and get well, back to my you life. You can't let them run it. I'm supposed to destroy it so it never runs again. Or everyone's gonna die. Or everyone's gonna die. That is what they always say. But there's always a little bit of time before everybody dies, and that's when I do my best work. Aren't you gonna need this? Oh, you have a goober. Give it. Whoop, whoop, wait, no, not so fast. He called it an override key. There's always a bypass key, a virus key, a who cares key I can never remember, so I always call it a goober. Give it. I need it to destroy the collider. I need it to go home. No, I'll swallow it, don't blow me. What? I swear. Hey! The collider created a portal that brought me here. And I have to get... Did you break this? No, it broke. Oh. I don't remember what happened. This is why I never cared. This is why I never did that. Can't we make another one? No, we can't do anything. Thanks to you, I have to re-steal what your guys stole from Alchemex and make another one of these. Ugh. Look, if I don't turn off the collider after you leave, everyone in the city, my parents, my uncle, and millions of others will die. And you're just gonna go home and leave me here to figure this out for myself? You good with that, Spider-Man? Yeah. <sighs> what are you doing? Making you feel guilty. Is it working? How could I, no, it's not, look at me, does it look like it's working? No, it's no, it's not, oh, oh, oh. No, 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 do not let him win! All right, kid, you win. Come on, we don't have a second to lose. So, what film are we focusing on this week? Yeah, on a complete tangent, and a good one at that, today's film of discussion, of topic, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was directed by Bob Perchetti, sorry if I've butchered that, Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman, which was written by Phil Lord. I say, I think it was co-written. Phil Lord wrote it with... Co-written, yeah. Uh, Rodney Rothman co-wrote it with Phil Lord. Right. And full disclosure, as always, you know, spoilers, you know, this is a film kind of podcast. We will be talking at Spoiler! great length. Of, yeah. Spoiler! There you go. Spoiler! I'm practicing in the mirror. 
I have perfected the spoiler <laughs> alert. You've got the right So pitch. we no longer need a button. Fantastic. We just need a high-pitched... Spoiler! Spoiler! <laughs> so, I also, I'm going to first off say, like, I am a very big spider fan. So I'm going to try and rein it in as best as possible. I have one tattoo, and it's Spider-Man's uh, insignia on my calf. Nice. I am a big Spider-Man fan, and I saw the trailer, and I thought, oh, this is going to be really, really good. I enjoy animation films anyway. When I went to the cinema, like this blew me away. It was so good. It's so visually good to just look at, just to watch. The story was good. The voice acting was really on point. Quite a few big Hollywood names, but just like sort of really good voice actors. Full stop. I think the cast, I think it was casted really well. Yes, very good character actor, actors you find. Especially yeah. villain roles. Uh, like uh, Leif Schreiber, mm. who, who plays the uh, Kingpin. Two-time Academy Award winner, Marcella Ali plays uncle aaron who's also yep. prowler so again try and watch these films when we are discussing about them we want to be talking about spoilers we want to be mentioning key characters things like that and we encourage as always you know hmm. please listen but also watch these movies because you are in for uh, a real visual treat phil lord and christopher miller who produce Phil Lord, co-writer, when they first approached Sony about this, because they've got a history with Sony making films like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and 21 and 22 Jump Street, they they approached them in 2014. So you've got a movie that's four years in the making. And it actually... After the, the the film was greenlit in 2014, Sony had to kind of come to the forefront and actually announce that they were doing this because it was just after the, the, the Sony hack of 2014. So everybody got really excited because there was all these films that people were hearing about. The, there was the, the oh, yeah. proposed third in the uh, Jump Street series, which was going to be a Men in Black reboot, which, which never happened mainly because of the kind of spoiler effect that came as, as a result of the, the Sony hack. There was everything that came out with the, the Spider-Man films that were going to focus on the kind of new teenage. This was obviously before they'd, they'd filmed all the stuff with Tom, Tom Holland, but they were obviously in the works and things like that. But they wanted to create... If you walk into the cinema, it was like walking into a comic book. Uh, the way that I would describe right. this movie is it's the hmm. it's the first visual comic book. It's like nothing I have ever seen in animation hmm. before. It incorporates everything you want from a comic book. Now, the only film that yeah. came close, and I say came close, it still was miles away in terms of what spider-man into the spider-verse accomplishes was 2003's hulk which ang lee shot using panels he filmed it as if we were reading a comic book and it was very much camera moved down camera move across oh, yeah. we'll have the explosions the onomatopoeia word bubbles things like that and at the time i mean i remember seeing hulk in the cinema and thinking this is good, but I had a major problem with the fact that it took over an hour for you to actually see Hulk. And then when you when you did, it was at night time. 
so he he was completely hidden and then it was overly cgi anyway i appreciated what he was trying to do so i was so happy when i sat down and watched spider-man spider-verse because for the first time you are in a comic book and as a fan of comic books as a fan of reading graphic novels i grew up reading things like judge dread to be in a comic book was i felt like i was 10 years old yeah watching that film you've hit the nail on the head like it very much is stylized that way and it has um quite a strong use of things which i, d I didn't realize this was a coined phrase but things called kirby dots yes uh, which is the wee sort of circles which was obviously pioneered by jack kirby yes. the art and but little touches like that on top of seeing like onomatopoeic words you know for different sounds and stuff like that as well as the sort of image blur which was supposed to be like a kind of like a printing error that would occasionally happen on comic books and stuff like that yes just all those little things all those little different things just contributed to this really visually stunning film even if you're not a spider-man fan or if you're not into superhero films like you will watch this and you will probably be very impressed regardless of if not the visuals then the story because i thought the story was quite good so i'm, I'm going to get this out of my system very very quickly like i said i'm a big spider-man fan i've been collecting spider-man comics for quite a while and the spider-verse is a relatively relatively recent thing it was a comic book story that came up in the main continuity however in the comic book there are a lot more spider people from different universes and they're all kind of connected through the basically the web it's like a, like the web of reality or something like that i would need to go back and reread it um it had characters like spider-man noir and it had penny parker and basically everyone that was in the film was were quite integral parts they had their own spin-off comics from the same sort of crossover event and it was really good it wasn't the same the actual comic book obviously was a bit more convoluted probably a bit darker as well but i'm not one of these superhero film fans that have to have films if they're based on a particular story like a comic book story i don't want them to be too much like it you know a very quick example is the dark knight trilogy that was done by chris nolan they the you know when they were writing that they actively took elements from big and well-known batman comic books but they obviously wrote a story around the inspiration so you know things like the killing joke or hush or the dark knight returns and you know stuff like that so you want them to have the writers especially when they're doing the story the exposition you want them to have done their homework yeah. and created an adaptation that is worthy but not a direct copy absolutely and i think now that i've grown up a little bit since like working in the cinema and watching whatever superhero film would come out kind of thing i now appreciate it if i see that if a writer or a director of a superhero film has made maybe a sort of cast off reference or you see something visually in the background or you know or you at least know where they were coming from i just kind of like it more as a sort of subtle nod rather than a mm -hmm. oh by the way check this out this is exactly where we took this you know so someone else wrote this but we're not giving them credit for it kind of thing yes but I, th I really enjoyed this story as well and you know miles morales as well you know he's been a popular spider-man character for quite a number of years now but he was quite an integral part of the civil war two storyline which wasn't overly well received I, I thought it was fine 
but he was quite an important part of that he's a re he's quite a good spider-man in his own sense you know he's he's a teenager but he has his own issues his own problems he has his own powers as well as you know standard spider-man powers but things like the venom touch like the electric shock thing and camouflage yeah i think there was just a whole lot of boxes that were ticked for people that were fans of the comics as well as people who were maybe just wanting to go see another spider-man film and it's a family film it's funny not in a crass way but definitely things that would make grown-ups enjoy it kids would love it you know it's comic book violence it's not too uh, you know there's there's bits where it's quite grim but uh we'll, we'll we'll get into that hopefully that's got most of that stuff out my system just before i get you to tell the audience what the main story is okay yeah you're introducing us to miles morales and you're talking yes about what he's like as a character what he's bringing to the series okay now he's not been he's hmm. he was introduced a few years back the timing was probably hmm. maybe a bit overdue yeah is it fair to say and you can obviously add more kind of background from what you know about Miles Morales here, Duke, mm. is it fair to say that he has quite quickly became an icon in terms of comic book characters? I think so. I mean, if there's anyone listening to this more clued up on the comic books than I am, then please comment and correct me. But when I was really, really young, before I started collecting comics properly, there was a series called Ultimate Spider-Man written by Brian Michael Bendis. And I collected them for quite a while and it was really good. The villains were a bit different. Peter's, his origin was pretty much the same, but there was like a couple of things added in like Flash Thompson, the school bully, um, had a bit of a run in with Peter not long after he had his powers. And I'll never forget it because I thought it was quite cool and brutal for a Spider-Man comic. But they get into it, they have a fight and uh, Flash goes to punch Peter and all Peter does is block. But because of the impact, Flash actually breaks his wrist, which is a big deal because he's like the quarterback of the football team or whatever. And Peter gets in a lot of trouble for it. And, you know, there's a bit more of a rebellious streak. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on. But that was really good because the, the Green Goblin character in the film looks a bit more like the Green Goblin character from Ultimate Spider-Man. And, you know, there's a bit more, there's a few nods to that. But I'm pretty sure Miles Morales was originally introduced in Ultimate Spider-Man because, and spoilers in case anyone ever fancies reading it so stop listening if you if you're ever interested in ultimate spider-man but basically peter parker from that dimension dies he goes through a thing called he goes it's, it happens in a story i believe called the gauntlet where basically the sinister six go through peter parker but i think miles comes into contact with him beforehand and miles then takes over and he becomes the spider-man in that universe the ultimate spider-man so there's a lot of par parallels there but I would say he became more of an icon because it, it wasn't it wasn't like a reboot, I don't think. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it, you know, Miles is a teenager. He's going through all teenager stuff on top of being able to, or on top of having the responsibility to fight crime and other bits and pieces. And the costume, super cool. Extra powers, I quite like them. What about ethnicity? You've got an African-American slash Latino as well. Yes, I think that was pretty good. I'm not really sure if if that was intended in order for Marvel to try and appeal to more, uh, you know, to a wider audience, potentially. Maybe there wasn't enough ethnic superheroes. I mean, there are quite a few. There are quite a few, but you've got this kind of a hybrid to connect audiences. Is it more reminiscent of what you, or realistic of what you would get from, from New York? 
a little rather bit, than just yeah. a white American. You know, that might be the case. That's you know, you're potentially right. To be honest, the first time I heard about Miles Morales when I was before I started reading comics, like I don't know if it's me as a person, but like race never came into it. it I've just heard that oh, there's a new Spider-Man. He's you know black, uh, black costume, but he's um, African American and you know, and that didn't really come into it. I just thought oh, cool, new Spider-Man, maybe new villains, new setting, or you know like new universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's all I took away from it. But I don't know. There might there might have been an intention for them to maybe try and appeal to a, a wider audience. I, I, you know, I just thought yeah, that looks pretty cool and. I think definitely if he wasn't an icon beforehand, he definitely will be now after this film because this was really well received. Done really well at the box office, actually. Mm-hmm. My character, Miles, is half Puerto Rican and half African American and lives in Brooklyn with his family. He's a talented artist and student and through a series of events finds himself meeting superheroes from other universes. Then the team up. Miles leads a fight to take down a group of classic Spider-Man villains, and there's no other Spider-Man like Miles Morales. Look, I really like the Spider-Man films, but Spider-Verse goes beyond with the multiple universes, multiple villains, and multiple Spider-Heroes. With Miles Morales, you have a Spider-Man character never before seen on the big screen. Spider-Verse is totally new spider-man experience oh and one last thing spider-verse is the first movie about a biracial superhero ever i'm proud to be a part of that our peter parker is an older superhero he's a little jaded but peter teaches miles about being spider-man and miles well he helps peter see the world in a positive way basically miles and peter have great chemistry together and a fun way of interacting in spider-verse I've always wanted to play Miles Morales. In fact, a few years ago, I wrote in my journal on the very first page, I am Miles Morales. And on the back, I am Spider-Man in big, bold letters. I just put it out there into the universe and boom, here it is. Here I am. Here we are. It's pretty amazing. See, the universe is a powerful thing. Indeed. So what is the film about? Teen Miles Morales becomes Spider-Man of his reality crossing his path with five counterparts from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities. So I'll expand on that a little bit. Kingpin, one of... Kingpin, who... He's a Spider-Man villain, but crosses paths with Daredevil quite a lot, but not in this film. Kingpin is basically using a... like a sort of super collider to try and bring back his wife and son who have unfortunately died in that in his reality so he's trying to pull them from another reality which is where we have the issue of spider people coming from other realities and they're trying to get back however using the super colliders causing reality to kind of collapse in on itself and glitch so there is a time limit and there is a sense of urgency for miles to come to terms with his powers and uh, become you know his spider-man after peter parker and his reality is unfortunately killed by the kingpin because trying to stop him that's what spider-man does we've got a lot of visual nods and connections across the the spider universe Mm. we're certainly a far world away from the first appearance of spider-man i'm not talking about like the cartoon appearance i'm talking about the live action appearance the tv movie with nicholas hammond 1977 where (laughs) virtually they just (laughs) kind of traips the rope yes. over uh, a building and he kind of did a, a crawling motion 
up a building, but it was clear that he was being raised from a rope. Yeah, we're not. We're we're certainly a far cry away from yeah. him. You've touched on a lot of things there with the storyline, the mm. realities collapsing, the the glitches. You've introduced our villain, uh, Wilson Fisk. Now we have seen Wilson Fisk before, but tends to be in the outside the comic books in terms of adaptations, the live action films. So we've seen Wilson Fisk in the TV series Daredevil played by Vincent D'Onofrio from Full Metal Jacket. We've also seen Michael Clark Duncan play him in the mm-hmm. live-action Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck yep. as Daredevil. I have always been a big fan of the Kingpin as a villain yep. because the Kingpin has a presence that dominates everything in a scene. And... What our directors and our writers have done with his villain, he literally fills the screen. I mean, he is like a black hole with a head. He dominates everything. You'll never actually see him get into or out of a car in this yep. movie because I think yep. Big square. it would defy the laws of physics. <laughs> you would just be wondering how. He's actually bigger <laughs> than the car itself. That would fit in with the... the, the... The theme of the film, though, you know, physics and yes, you know, it the would, laws it of would. physics being bended. To carry off a role like the Kingpin, you've also got to have a, a, a good character voice. And they were lucky enough to cast Lee Schreiber, who people will know from the TV series Ray Donovan. Hmm. Lee Schreiber is an actor who's been around. He's done his time and he has this kind of slimy yet sinister New York accent. When he enters, you just feel his presence. Mm. He really is the definition here of a psychotic villain. Mm. You like my new toy? Cost me a fortune, but hey, can't take it with you, right? Kingpin kind of got his start in the streets. He was a street fighter who kind of rose to be a kind of a mob boss type character. I killed Spider-Man. Why did I just see two more? There's a thousand reasons why Lee F. Shriver is amazing and we were fortunate to work with him. You took my family. And now I'm going to make sure you never see yours again. He really helped us crack things about Kingpin's character and his motivations. When you're trying to create a three-dimensional, interesting bad guy, that's invaluable. It's not always about the money, Spider-Man. He's defined by his incredible size, his his small head and his ability to fight, which is why I chose for this character to stuff toilet paper up my nostrils because it made me sound like I was very big and and maybe I'd had my nose broken a couple of times. See that, what I did right there, right off of my head? I thought of that. He's got other villains working for him. We'll we'll come to that later. At the heart of it, he just wants Mm -hmm. his family back and that has led to this crazed power trip and dimensional quakes and glitches and superheroes, other Spider-Men, Spider-Women as well, from other realities crashing into Miles Morales' reality. I think that it was a good idea to go with the Kingpin because we've seen Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin. We actually have a kind of mutated version, I think you said, from Ultimate Spider-Man of Norman Osborn who is working on for Kingpin, but we only see him briefly at the at the start. We have other people like Tombstone. We have a female version of Doc Ock. But everything centres around Kingpin 
and just his need to have his his family back. And mm-hmm. to me, it just goes back to that classic good old crazy. He's got his heart set on one thing and he doesn't yep. care what will happen, even if it's the destruction of the city, to get that one thing back. And unfortunately, that's what leads to the death of Peter Parker. Mm. It's quite a straightforward story. You, you need that in a family film. That makes sense. Like, bad guy is trying to do something there's more good guys they have to team up beat bad guy mm-hmm. and go home kind of thing like it's it is actually quite straightforward there's obviously more to it and you know there's little kind of character arcs and other bits and pieces but mm-hmm. i mean we'll, we'll talk about the reviews later on like we usually do but one of them touched on the fact that it wasn't just one origin story it was five or six origin stories and everyone kind of knows the basic bitten by radioactive spider great powers yes. great responsibility fights crime kind of thing don't say that to me i've heard enough of that (laughs) phrase kid electrocuted me with his hands you're like me i got some questions why do you look like peter parker Because I am Peter Parker. Then why aren't you dead? And why is your hair different? Why are you older? And why is your body a a different shape? Pretty sure you just called me fat. No, no, just... Hey, listen, you don't look so hot either, kid. Most superheroes don't wear their own merch. Are you a ghost? No. Are you a zombie? Stop it. Am I a zombie? You're not even close. Are you from another dimension? Like a parallel universe where things are like this universe but different? And and you're Spider-Man in that universe? but somehow traveled to this universe, but but you don't know how? Wow, that was really just a guess? Well, we learned about it in physics. Quantum theory. This is amazing. You can teach me just like Peter said he Before would. Before he died. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. Look, I made a promise to him. Here's lesson number one, kid. Don't watch the mouth. Watch the hands. <laughs> Peter, seriously. Trust me, kid, this will all make you a better Spider-Man. Hey, are you you okay? No, I'm not. What's going on with your body? I don't think my atoms are real jazzed about being in the wrong dimension. Look, I'm not looking for a side gig as a Spider-Man coach. I got a lot going on in my dimension, like a lot. With great power comes great... Don't you dare finish that sentence. Don't do it. I'm sick of it. But it was nice just to see slightly different twists on it, you know, and obviously people from different mm-hmm. times and dimensions and, you know, different backgrounds. N- not only for those to be thought up in, for the comic book, but to see them visually in a film as well. Things like Gwen Stacy, you know, that, that's a complete turnaround. And, you know, Peter Parker and her reality was the lizard. And, you know, sometimes you go to a reality and things are completely different. You go to some realities and there's maybe just one or two things that are just slightly mm. off or in a different time. The story is very straightforward, but action-packed. And as much of a comic book film as is, it's a family film as well. And kids have to be able to follow it. And, you know, I'm not saying kids are dumb or anything, but you need to, you know, you need to maintain their attention. You do. You've got to have a good story. If you don't have a good story, if you don't have yep. an origin story for Miles, you're going to lose the audience. We're not going to get behind them. When it does come to that big moment of the hero f- discovers 
the hero in sight, then we're not going to be with them. You need all the cliches, but in this film, they don't feel cliched. They feel, it's almost like they feel brand new. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because of the animation, the way this, this is being done, because it's a visual comic book. Doug mentioned we've got things that are being used that we would expect to see in comic books. We've got Kirby Dots, we've got Cubism, we've got crisscross mm-hmm. lines, we've got motion lines, we've got onomatopoeia words, we've got mm-hmm. panels. The whole thing feels so alive and so fresh, but it has this air of familiar arity that feels warm and welcoming, but it just takes everything to the next level. We've used this term before, but I'm going to say it again. It, it turns the amp up to 11. So it has all these similarities that feel so familiar, but it turns it on its head, it cranks the amp <laughs> up to 11, and it offers you something that is fresh and rejuvenating and just stunning. There is something new to see, I think, every time you would revisit this film, whether you were a comic book fan or whether you were just a fan of film in general. What I'm astounded at is that this movie was made for $90 million. In the grand scheme of things, if I was, if we were doing this podcast like 15 years ago, then 90 million would be a big budget. And it seems now that 90 million seems to be a relatively low budget when you're comparing things that have now got 250 million budgets, 200 million budgets. This film was made for 90 million. It had 175 animators. No film in history has had as many animators as this film did. And it made 375 million at the box office. Mm. It's made its money back. It hasn't been a billion dollar movie. It's not necessarily been a Endgame or an Iron Man 3. But I'm sorry, this film blows both of those movies out the water. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised at the box office. I, I was a little bit as well. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's made its money back and then some. But I think there might potentially still be a little bit of stigma there that it's, oh, it's an animation, it's a cartoon, it must be a kid's film. And, you know, you're kind of half right. It's a sort of family film. But, I kinda, you know, when I went to the cinema, I kind of went in with my head held high. Like, trust me, I know I'm going in without kids kind of thing. This is a Spider-Man film. And there was quite, there was a lot of people there that did not have kids with them. Like a lot of people yeah. went to see it because it was, it was another Spider-Man film, but it was, yeah. it was different. And I think maybe to people who are fans of either comic books or Spider-Man watch animation films anyway, like you mentioned earlier, Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs or things like the Lego movie, pew, pew, they're pew, really pew, pew. funny. Yeah, they're, pew, pew, pew. they're family films rather than kids films. If you, you know, if you watch Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs one and then watch the sequel, the second one, the second one's a kid's film. Like, the humour's a lot easier. It's maybe tailored more to sort of slapstick comedy. You know, it's, it's a bit more for kids. Yes. The original Cloudy film had, again, kind of just more jokes that grown-ups would get, whether it was fourth wall breaks or references to other films or, you know, things like that. There's that in this film, but I, I reckon I reckon a lot more people potentially caught on to this being what it was after the cinema. Like, I think maybe a few... I think a lot more people maybe watched it online or 
you know, got it on Boyer or whatever um, afterwards. Yeah. You know, it, it made its money back and it was successful. And there is there is a sequel on its way whenever that might be. Um, you know, there is another one happening. It's scheduled at the moment for 2022. Obviously, it depends right. how much work they're able to do on that. It is animation, which does help behind closed doors. But yeah. we know that it took four years to make this movie. And I can I can see why. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with the animation that's came out of this. It basically, it's called twos because you have mm. a layer of CGI rendered animation and modeling, and then you have hand drawn animation, and you put the two together, and that creates the effect. Yep. You mentioned earlier on about sometimes in shots the background can appear blurry, whereas the foreground is in focus and things like that. Well, this is what mm -hmm. you can actually accomplish with twos because the animation team at Sony that are working on this for their limited budget have created something that nobody has ever seen before or done before. They animating hand-drawn animations on top of computer animation mm. for a visually beautiful image. It's almost like the two worlds were made for each other. I totally agree. And... I'll give just a little recommendation for this just now because it's very interesting. I mean, I, I studied sound in college and uni, not um, animation or visual effects, although I kind of wish I did now. But if anyone's on YouTube, I would recommend watching the Wired uh, video on how the animators created the Spider-Verse. Basically, um, Peter and um, Miles are essentially out of sync with each other during the Alchemax forest scene where they're trying to escape from Doc Ock with the computer. Basically, they're animated mm -hmm. uh, essentially like one frame apart, but as the scene progresses and Miles starts to get it with the swinging and they're holding on to the computer and swinging at the same time, then the animation itself actually matches up and everything's a lot smoother. And there's little touches, you know, little details that you wouldn't know about unless you watch like the bonus features or, you know, while you watch these YouTube videos. Yeah. But stuff like that is fascinating. Like, it's super interesting. It's subtle. And it obviously adds something more to the film. On top of it looking incredible, it, it gives you this, this sort of jarring effect. And then it sort of smooths out. And it obviously contributes to, mm. you know, Miles looking like he's starting to, you know, starting to get it a little bit more. He's, he's progressing slowly but surely. Personally, I just love things like that. It's interesting when you're finding out this these kind of facts or you're doing your research by watching the videos and you're learning the ins and outs sometimes what you think actually is something that's really costly or something that's difficult to animate turns out to be one of the, the smoothest sequences and they actually tend to be yeah. some of the action sequences i discovered in my in my research that two scenes that they had to redo about 50 different times were two of the simplest scenes and it was it was because in both the scenes, they needed to get the exposition right. One of the scenes is where Miles sits down with Peter in a diner and Peter eats a couple of burgers. But you learn some incredible plot facts. You learn about Peter's kind of background. You learn about what's going on. Peter's trying to give Miles Morales uh, the kind of pep talk to be Spider-Man but not get too hurt. They redid that 50 times because they needed to get the dialogue right so every time they're redoing the dialogue they're rewriting it they have to reanimate it mm -hmm. and then 
every reanimation is doubled because oh, yeah, yeah. of the twos process. What you think is a relatively simple scene of two people sitting down having a conversation, mm-hmm. that's the most expensive shot yeah. in the whole film. Oh, wow. That, for me, was was fascinating. I would never have thought that. I would have thought that the scenes where Miles is being dragged by uh, a train when he's fighting Fisk or when he is being chased through the city by Prowler. I would have thought all that stuff would be relatively difficult. But in a screenplay, these things are one lines. And it says, Mm -hmm. Prowler chases Miles. That's it. And then you cut to the next scene. That chase is probably about at least 90 seconds, if not two minutes long. Mm -hmm. So you think that must be so difficult to animate to get all these little bits and pieces in there. And all the all the Easter eggs that they throw in as well, but no, two guys sitting across from each other, yeah, having a conversation. That's the most expensive scene. My mind is just completely baffled by that. Something that sounds so simple actually becomes so complicated purely because of dialogue and plot, and not because of the animation. I'm personally a great believer in if you're going to do something, do it right. So I can sort of see why they maybe yes. went over it, like you said, like 40 or 50 times to get the dialogue right. Because getting the dialogue right means that the chemistry at that point in the film between Miles and Peter is where it's supposed to be. Which makes it all that more satisfying later mm. on in the film where, you know, they accept their roles and Peter... Explain just quickly for our listeners if anybody hasn't watched it, which you should have by now. I mean, really, we have made that quite obvious. Get it watched. Get it watched. Go and just quickly explain the difference between Peter Parker and Peter B. Parker. I'll first off say that whenever they um, talk about their origin stories, they treat it as if it has to be a quick, snappy 30-second thing because of how many times the Spider-Man origin story's been told. All right, let's do this one last time. My name is Peter Parker. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. And for 10 years, I've been the one and only Spider-Man. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. With great power comes great responsibility. I saved a bunch of people, fall in love, saved the city. And then I saved the city again, and again, and again, and again. And I did, uh, I did this. We don't really talk about this. Look, I'm a comic book, I'm a serial, did a Christmas album, I have an excellent theme song. And uh, so, so popsicle. I mean, I've looked worse. But after everything, I still love being Spider-Man. I mean, who wouldn't? So no matter how many hits I take, I always find a way to come back. Because the only thing standing between this city and oblivion is me. There's only one Spider-Man. And you're looking at him. So Peter Parker, which is voiced by Chris Pine yes. from Miles' uh, universe, has it going pretty well. I think he was 25 or 26 in the film. He got 26. 26. Bitten by a radioactive spider, fights crime, got married to MJ, um, had a Christmas album, <laughs> which I always thought was quite funny. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> uh, the best reference, I think, is the dancing scene that Tobey Maguire done in Spider-Man 3 when he's infected with the symbiote. Peter yes. Parker does that just in his costume dance. It's all it's the exact same dance moves as well. It's it's so so funny, um, and the reference and you know the references. I also done this, but we don't really talk about this very much, you know things like that. So 
Chris Pines, yes. Peter Parker, you know, he always gets back up. You know, things went well for him. Or, you know, because he's a lot younger than Peter B. Parker, maybe things haven't sort of taken a turn yet. You know, it's hard to say. It's different universes. All right, people, let's do this one last time. My name is Peter B. Parker. I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and for the last 22 years, I thought I was the one and only Spider-Man. What a day. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. You see, I saved the city, fell in love, I got married, saved the city some more, maybe too much. My marriage got testy, made some dicey money choices, don't invest in a spider-themed restaurant. Then like 15 years passed, blah, 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 super burn, I broke my back, a drone flew into my face, I buried Aunt May, my wife and I split up. But I handled it like a champion. Because you know what, no matter how many times I get hit, I always get back up. I got a lot of time to reflect and work on myself. Did you know that seahorses that they mate for life? Could you imagine a seahorse seeing another seahorse and then making it work? She wanted kids and, and it scared me. I'm pretty sure I broke her heart. Flash forward, I'm in my apartment doing push-ups, doing ab crunches, getting strong. When this weird thing happened. You see, I was in New York, but, but things were different. Also, I was dead. And blonde. I was kind of perfect. It was like looking in a mirror. I have a feeling that the thing that brought me here was the thing that got him killed. You want to know what happened next? <laughs> Me too. Peter B. Parker went through a similar process, but um, is a bit older and is not really enjoying being Spider-Man anymore. And that seems to be one of the running themes is like, you have responsibility, you have these powers, you got to do the right thing, but try and enjoy it as well. You can tell that Peter, Peter B. Parker hasn't. He unfortunately, um, his Aunt May passed away as well as Uncle Ben. He got divorced from MJ so he got married um, he lost a fair bit of money investing in you know a Spider-Man themed restaurant it did not go well he moved out just yeah it basically did not work out all that well for him and um, I, th I think his main thing is that he was fixated more on where he went wrong with MJ uh, with Mary Jane more than anything and that's what's kind of holding him back until he's pulled out ripped out of his reality and into Miles's so you've got a total contrast there between Peter Parker's yeah. You've got Peter Parker, whose life is taken from him at the young age of 26, yep. who will always return to the fight, will always get back up, will yep. always fight for the little people. And you've got Peter B. Parker, who now is caught in a rut of feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. He's put on his dad weight, even though he's not a dad. <laughs> and he's not necessarily the teacher that you would choose for Miles, is he? No, not at all. I think when Miles originally meets Peter Parker from his reality, Peter, once he realizes that their spider senses kind of like sync up and they realize that they, you know, they can do that, Peter's like, I'll show you the ropes. You know, I'll happily mentor you. It's going to be, it's, you know, it's quite scary, but I'll, I'll take you through it. I'll show you what's what. And, you know, we'll do this together, which is a really nice thing. It's really quite reassuring. You know, you'll have like a mentor and, 
you know, he says, right, I'll be right back. I just need to stop reality from collapsing in on itself and, you know, goes away and saves the day to an extent, but mm. unfortunately doesn't make it through the through the entirety of the fight. But Miles makes that Peter a promise that he has to hold on to and keep as best as possible. And yeah, no, it's, it's quite sad. We interrupt this broadcast for a special report. Sad news tonight. The hero known as Spider-Man has died after injuries related to another powerful earthquake in Brooklyn. Multiple sources are confirming that Peter Parker, a 26-year-old grad student, operated of the dark. I'm not running, running, running. No, I'm not afraid of the fall. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Our hero, Spider-Man, is gone. My husband, Peter Parker, was an ordinary person. He always said it could have been anyone behind the mask. He was just the kid who happened to get bit. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, we were friends, you know. Can I return it if it doesn't fit? It always fits. Eventually. He didn't ask for his powers. But he chose to be Spider-Man. My favorite thing about Peter is that he made us each feel powerful. We all have powers of one kind or another. But in our own way, we are all Spider-Man. And we're all counting on you. Probably not you specifically. I I think it's a metaphor. And one thing I'll say is that the soundtrack is not necessarily the kind of music I would listen to, but it works. It's, it's one of the other things that they got right. I mean, obviously Sony's trying to peddle the mm -hmm. music that are made on their label kind of thing, but it does. It fits in with the aesthetic and it fits in with uh, yes potentially yeah. the demographic. It was you know really kind of aiming for and stuff, and the music just. It works really well. So you've got this new teacher arriving mm -hmm. who doesn't really want to be the role of a teacher. And just to show you how clued up Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman are, we've mentioned in previous podcasts about the importance and the joy that can be gained from foreshadowing in films. Foreshadowing is when you give little subtle hints as to things that are going to happen later on with your with mm -hmm. your plot. And there was one that I didn't notice originally, and then when I was re-watching it, I discovered and found a bit more information about it. And I just it just showed that we're dealing with guys that are that are fans of comic books, not but not just comic books, the literature in general. Miles Morales is studying English and he's studying Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. And we see the book several times. Now Great Expectations, the main character, Pip, he is raised to be and live the life of a gentleman yeah. and a, by a secret benefactor. So he always thinks that his uh, benefactor is the crazed old spinster, Miss Havisham. And he actually discovers that it's the crazed criminal, Magwitch, that has been paying his way all these years and making him into a gentleman because Pip was kind to Magwitch when he escaped prison at the start of the book. Now, in the picture of the book, we have Magwitch grasping Pip by the shoulder. 
in a graveyard and he's his benefactor he will pay his way to for the person that he becomes and the foreshadowing element is that it's peter b parker not the peter parker you would really want in the graveyard scene when miles morales visits peter a parker's grave and it's peter b parker who reaches out in the graveyard and he touches miles's shoulder like the image from Great Expectations. And then, of course, because Miles can't control his powers, Peter B. Parker gets a dose of Venom strike and ends up on the floor, and it's all very comical. But we're dealing with writers that know their craft, and it's so subtle, but it's so clever. I really like what they are doing. Something that you would never pick up on or never notice on first viewing, but going back, you're thinking... Why are we seeing that? Why are they showing us that? And then the two make sense. That's the kind of things that that these guys do well. And it's probably even more astounding because you've got a conditioned director in Peter Ramsey, who has directed Rise of the Guardians. Quite an underrated animation, if you ask me. But you've got first-time directors... Bob uh, Preschetti and Rodney Rothman. You know, Rodney Rothman is a is a writer who kind of learned his craft through a lot of comedy shows, late night show with David Letterman, and Preschetti is a animator. So you've got all these things are the best of both worlds. Ramsey's the only one who has actually been in charge of a huge crew, and he extended that from becoming a storyboard artist to have this kind of quality of established writers animators who are progressing to direction and an established director you've almost got the ultimate team and we're not we've not even talked about the cast yet i was pleasantly surprised actually i would say when i found out that the three directors two had really never actually directed a film before really and i thought that was actually quite cool but just like you mentioned before though I think a lot of things lined up and they managed to kind of capture lightning in a jar with this film because like you said a lot of a lot of things like experience might have been questioned on a project as big as this sony have to turn out a spider-man film within a certain amount of time um otherwise they'll lose the license back to disney the house of mouse will have all six infinity stones and can snap us out of existence if they wanted i'm fine with Marvel and Disney and all that, but Disney's starting to buy up yes. far too much in terms of the film industry, and it's making me a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Disney are becoming the controlling institution, mm-hmm. but the most exciting institution, in my opinion, is Bloomhouse. Yeah, I'll give you that, yeah. So Disney can buy as much as they want, mm. but you could question their originality ah, okay. with adaptations yeah. mm-hmm. and adaptations of adaptations and remakes you're You're like me my name is peter parker my name is penny parker my name is peter parker i I was was bitten bitten by a radioactive pig in my universe it's 1933 and i'm a private eye I like to drink egg creams, and I like to fight Nazis. A lot. I'm from New York in the year 3145. I have a psychic link with a spider who lives inside my father's robot. And we're best friends. <laughs> Forever. Sometimes I let matches burn down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything. Oh. 
I'm a photographer for the Daily Beagle. When I'm not pooching around, I'm working like a dog trying to sniff out the latest story. I frolic and I dance and I do this with my okay, pants and my... Enough. So, uh, how did you get here? Well, it's kind of a long story. Maybe not that long. Now, we're just trying to find a way home. The only way home is back through that collider gizmo. The only trouble is... One of us has to stay behind and destroy it. I'll do it. Let's chat about the cast. This, uh... Incredible. Th there seems to be a theme... Yeah, was, there seems to be a theme theme for really good casts out of the films that we've spoken about. I mean, the casts out of all the films we've spoken about so far are all really good, but I think Extraordinary from episode three had slightly lesser known actors and actresses, but by no means any less at all. Like, you know. No, yeah, yeah. Performance-wise, still equally good. I mean, the I always imagine that it must be hard casting vocals. Yeah, it, it will be. It has to be. I mean, I think certain films will cast certain actors and actresses to do voices because of the name. Here's here's a quick thing. See, for uh, political correctness and stuff, is it? Do you still see actresses or are actresses considered just actors now as well? Because I thought it was a male female thing, but I think it becomes actually a personal thing because right. Oh, okay. If you were to say to Dame Judy Dench, yeah, the renowned actress, yes. she would stop. She would put her hand up and she would stop you and she'd say, "Darling, I'm not an actress. I'm an actor." Some people will be offended by the gender label, but a word like actor doesn't need to be gender specific. Hmm. Uh, no, the actors that you have here. I'm just going to go for the general act. Let's go for actors rather than actors, actresses, and just say that yeah, we're, we're not yeah. being gender specific. Cool. The actors that you have assembled here, hmm. they have put their work in and they just all seem to fit. Even people that I would question, I am used to obviously seeing them in person and then you think, all right, okay. I can't imagine them as that animated character. So for me, the one casting choice that I was unsure of, because I saw him in Tag, and he is this very comical actor, was Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker. But I can't imagine any other voice other than his. It fits. Watch and learn, kid. I'll quiz you later. The version of Peter Parker that I play is more confident, if not a little jaded. He's been around the block and he's faced a great deal of adversity. Jake's been a good friend of ours for a long time. We've worked on a bunch of things together. And so when we thought of like, who would be a good version of uh, a sort of washed up, middle-aged, sarcastic version of Peter Parker, he was the, the first and only person we thought of. So that casting decision is very efficient. Fast. We just called Jake. <laughs> said, would you do this? And then he said yes. This could literally not get any weirder. Chris and Phil knew what they wanted. So they're saying they let us go, and they did. And we were allowed to improvise, but this wasn't. We went in the booth and created Peter and Miles. Yeah. They knew who these guys were. When you heard both of them on the mics, it was so clear that they're having a good time. You're going to want to use baby powder in the soup, heavy on the joints. You don't want any chafing, right? Anything else? Nope, that was everything. He embodied the wit 
and this kind of charm of Peter Parker that comes so much out of his voice and demeanor. Everybody knows that the best way to learn is under intense, life-threatening pressure. He was able to twist and work with the lines and workshop things there on the fly. It's a real melding of the character and the actor. I love you. I am so proud of you. <laughs> Do I want kids? It was a really good fit. It was a really good choice. I totally agree. And it, it wasn't until I actually started looking into this that I realized it was Chris Pine that was Peter Parker, not Peter B. Parker, but just the original. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know I knew of John Mulaney, who does Spider-Ham, you know, who's in, uh, who does voice acting for Big Mouth. Have you ever seen that on Netflix? The, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's hilarious. It's, you know, <laughs> the most obscene thing I've ever watched. But, you know, it's really <laughs> funny. But he... Essentially, you know, he voice acts in that. I was pleasantly surprised by, um, you know, I'm awful at pronunciation, but was it Leif Schreiber, you said? Yeah, Leif yeah. Schreiber, yeah. Leif Schreiber. Now, I've seen him in other things, and I know how, I know what he sounds like, but the voice, he actually puts on a voice for the Kingpin, and it fits really well. Yeah. I think it makes the Kingpin, you know, the Kingpin and other things I've seen is usually a bit more refined. You know, he is the Kingpin of crime, but... You know, he has all the money, he has the nice things, he doesn't really get his hands dirty, he has other people do it for him. Whereas this Kingpin, because he has a bit more of a, maybe a bit more of a kind of Brooklyn, a, a bit more of a sort of New Yorker tough guy kind of gangster accent, it, he comes across as a bit more of a gangster. And I thought yes. that was quite good. But I, my favourite, and I think this was a really good fit as well, was Nick Cage, Nicholas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. He has limited lines... But when he does speak, not only does it match up really well with the aesthetic of the sort of 19, 1920s, I think it was, 1920s or 30s. Yes, yeah, yeah. But just the phrases that he uses, like the, you know, that wouldn't be used now, but used back then, just the sound of his voice, the, the articulation and stuff. I just thought, yeah, I, I thought it was funny to see Nick, Nicolas Cage in it. And I thought, oh, I wonder who he does. But when you hear it, you're like, ah, yeah, good choice. In my universe, it's 1933, and I'm a private eye. You would hear the day before, hey, you're going to work with Nick Cage tomorrow, but then you'd walk into a room and Nick Cage would be there. That alone was amazing. Spider-Man Noir. He's probably the edgiest of the Spider-Men. Think Raymond Chandler, think Paul Kane, those great old detective novels. He had a take on the character. He was funny. If you made adjustments in his performance, he would make them and do it way better than you even thought. And I'm talking hard boys, real biscuit boxers. Can you fight them all off at once? I'd heard that after his first recording session, he did a few lines. The director kept making notes. And then Nicholas just turned and he was like, oh, you want me to go full cage? Is that all you got? You're gonna fight or you're just bumping gums, you hard-boiled turtle slapper? He brought the cage. Can you close off your feelings so you don't get crippled by the moral ambiguity of your violent actions? I imagine he's probably a fan of the old bogey movies and Cagney movies, because that's all part of that dimension. At least that's how I like to portray the character. I like to drink egg creams and I like to fight Nazis. A lot. What's great with Nicolas Cage is that he will, he brings a presence to any kind of film and yeah. with his kind of casting, the directors were confident enough to allow him to bring his own kind of style to Spider-Man Noir. Now, the thing is that it would be very easy for a big personality like Nicolas mm. Cage to have went completely over the top, as he has done in a lot of his live-action movies. 
but here he embodies Sam Spade. He embodies mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart playing that iconic Sam Spade character from the 1920s. And he does it with relish. He actually sounds like he's having fun. As much fun as when he played Big Daddy in Kick-Ass. Because yeah, a lot of people forget that Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. was cast as Superman. Yeah. In the in the late nineties, as and it was Superman Lives. Yeah, there's a, there's a great documentary that explores it all called the the death of Superman Lives, featuring people like Kevin Smith. And they go into the great background mm-hmm. about what the story was, how it changed, all the problems. But you also get to see Nicolas Cage as Clark Kent, and you get to see him in the Superman suit, and you get to see him in the regeneration suit, and he looks ridiculous. He looks absolutely out of his depth and actually when Brian Singer was filming Superman Returns anytime a producer came to him and said we're unsure about what you're doing why are you doing this scene why are you spending this money Brian Singer kept in his back pocket a photograph of Nicolas Cage in the Superman outfit and he took it out of his pocket and he held it to the producer and said this you are going to make this movie don't question what I'm doing. Wow. Nicolas Cage is actually living this kind of late career blossom as superheroes. So he embodies Adam West when he's Big Daddy. He's he's playing Batman. And it's great in Kick-Ass. I will rewatch Kick-Ass just for Nicolas Cage. And then, like I said, he embodies Humphrey Bogart playing Sam Spade. I have to say that of all of the Spider-Men, minus Miles Morales, but all of the other versions of Spider-Man, from Spider-Gwen, from Penny Parker, to Spider-Ham. Spider-Man Noir is my favourite that we get. I wish we'd had more of him, yeah. but I absolutely love his casting. Yeah, no, it was really good. And if, you, you know, if you're ever looking for a good read, the, the actual Spider-Man Noir comic, it's a fair bit darker, but it's still a really interesting read. There was actually a, almost like a noir series because there's an Iron Man noir as well that you know there's different iterations different reimaginings of certain uh, superheroes marvel superheroes sort of based in the 20s and stuff and i thought it was a good idea and the spider-man one worked really quite well but casting choice yeah i I, I totally agree and i was going to draw the same comparison to big daddy as well like he done a really good kind of you know nick cage kind of you know harnessing the power of adam west for big daddy as you know batman kind of thing it was it, it wasn't overdone and but it wasn't overly obvious like you had to you know you, you sort of had to kind of be in the know a little bit to catch why he spoke in a certain way yes. and stuff like that but no it, it worked really well and honestly like the all the voices match up and line up really really quite well i thought anyways before i ask you about your personal rating of the film okay was there anything missing for you from this film now i've been thinking about this because i knew this question was going to come up and (laughs) i thought about it at great length about uh, any sort of criticism and i really really struggled i'm going to go ahead and first of all say that this is i'm going to give it six out of six infinity stones and infinity stones are my rating system there's six of them in the Infinity Gauntlet, so I'm going to give this six. Soul Stone included. No need to sacrifice anyone. This is your first full gauntlet. Yeah, this is a first full gauntlet. Absolutely. And I am potentially a little bit biased with being such a big fan of the character, but 
it was a good story. It was a good soundtrack. It was a visually stunning film. The pace was good. The casting choices were good. You know, the, it, it ticked pretty much every box on when, when making an animation film, do this. And I thought it was really good. There was maybe towards the end... If there was nothing missing, you don't... There you... was maybe a couple of moments towards the end of the film where things were maybe a bit corny, but I'm only seeing it as corny because I'm, a, I'm in my mid to late 20s and maybe that stuff was a bit more for the kids you know like the other spider people like cheering each other on and stuff like that but it's a family film it's gonna have that stuff in it so yeah i can't really find anything wrong with it to be honest it's i'll happily yeah. rewatch it happily rewatch it with six out of six infinity stones then mm-hmm. is it fair to say that this is a perfect movie for me uh, and you know I am not as caught up on films you know I just watch films and can talk about them to an extent but for me this is one of the few films that I can stick on when I'm almost in any kind of mood and potentially potentially one of these films that I can stick on when I'm not in a great mood and it'll bring me out yeah. of it I know there's critically renowned films things like you know Shawshank Redemption and you know the Green Mile and stuff like that films that are eternal essentially and this probably doesn't reach that but yeah i think for me this is probably if not perfect the closest thing to a perfect film yeah for me for me personally like i honestly through and through love uh, into the spider-verse it's uh yeah it's the good stuff (laughs) (laughs) oh you've channeled harlan from last week harlan thromby the good stuff (laughs) Anybody, oh, anybody who's stuff. not listened to last week's episode or not seen Knives Out, the good stuff would be morphine. So <laughs> if he's not jacked up on his caffeine, then Doug is at the back of this children's film spaced out of his tits on morphine. His morphine being Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man is my morphine. There's a t-shirt and there's a t-shirt slogan in there somewhere. Oh, Spider-Man is my morphine. We have to make that into a t-shirt. <laughs> Spider-Man. I'm gonna write that down. Spider-Man is my morphine. Is my That's morphine. your next birthday present. I've got it sorted. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. So <laughs> So I've given it a six out of six. What would you give it? How many chainsaws? How many chainsaws does Pix give it? Interesting. I haven't obviously shown my full hand when it comes to my ratings so far. I've I've yet to pick up five chainsaws and not to downplay your full gauntlet or anything like that. I asked you the question, was there something missing? Now, when I watched this movie... I wrote down one thing that was missing and after it was completely finished, including the end credit sequence, I then took my pen and I scrawled out what was missing. Oh, really? Wow. Because the end credit sequence gave me what I'd written down. Do you have any guesses as to what I might have written down that was missing? Because you'll have seen the end credit sequence. Now, when you say the end credit sequence, is it the Spider-Ham animation, or is it... It's Spider-Man 2099. Right. Um, ah. Uh, mm, no. You know what? Just uh, put me out of my misery. What, what was it that you had, and why did it okay. rectify it? I wrote down a name. 
and the name I wrote down was J. Jonah Jameson. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Now, in the end credit sequence, we get introduced to another Spider-Man, as you just said a minute ago. Okay, so I, yep. I referred to him as Spider-Man 2099, but his yep. name is... Miguel O'Hara. So, the voiced by Oscar Isaac. And mm-hmm. the not only is it an end credit sequence to introduce another character, but there is rumours along with the Japanese incartation of Spider-Man that he will f- be introduced in the sequel. Okay? Awesome. It's rumours, though, at this stage. Yeah. Spider-Man 2099 then goes through some sort of time loop or something what is it the because he's from the future i think they were able to monitor the the sort of anomalies in reality and they've basically developed uh basically a device that allows miguel to actually jump to different realities so they he can do it on purpose kind of thing yes um so he goes to uh, another universe so he he jumps to the uh, spider-man a 60s cartoon <laughs> and who happens to be in that scene J. Jonah Jameson also voiced by the man that he is based on Stan Lee oh. now, Stan Lee has another cameo in this oh, film wow. and we might talk about that later on uh-huh. but Stan Lee plays J. Jonah Jameson and that's all it needed for me I scored it out and then I picked up five chainsaws and took it to my TV because perfection nice. was achieved. Yeah. I give this film five chainsaws out of five. I'm going to use the word perfect. There are certain films that are perfect for me. The Truman Show is a perfect film. Yeah. Five chainsaws out of five. We're not reviewing that, but I'm just using it as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a perfect animation it ticks all the boxes it's visually stunning the voice work is tremendous i have so much respect for what has been achieved from a limited budget and i got what i felt wasn't there which was my ranty newspaper editor j jonah jameson and it was made even more special by the fact that Mm. It was Stan Lee who actually led the vocals. You're a bit late. We can't all be everywhere at once. Little text might have been nice. I was gone for less than two hours. What happened? Okay, okay, okay. I know what it looks like, but here's the good news. Oh, here we go. The multiverse didn't collapse. Oh, cool. Little touch and go. It worked out. Great story. Hey, did you finish the goober? It's not a goober, it's a gizmo. You always have to call me out. It's just really frustrating and bugs me Don't out. get too excited, Miguel. It's just a prototype. Not excited. But you could be Ow. the first person to make an autonomous multiverse jump. Or the last. Okay, so we're just gonna roll the dice on this? So what do you say, pal? Where do you want to go first? Let's start at the beginning one last time. Earth 67. Whoa. What the? I'm Spider-Man. I need you to come with Who me. Who the heck are you? I, I just told you that. Listen, listen. I'm from the future. How dare you point at me? You, you were pointing first. Rude to point. You're being very rude. You're not even believing what Which I'm one saying. pointed I'm first? Spider-Man pointed first. Obviously. You're pointing at me right now as you say that. You're Look pointing. at you. I'm Look just at pointing your at your pointing. Look at your finger right different now. different than normal you pointing. You, you haven't seen you're pointing until I drew you and then you'll know. Okay, so just two more things to add on to that. So when Spider-Man 2099 goes to that universe, it's obviously based 
it was it was more to get chuckles out of this the famous spider-man meme you know where they're kind of pointing at each other that that floored me i thought that was really funny and you know a very it, it, expensive joke humor. yeah a very expensive joke and just kind of pointing at each other and it's just such a trivial thing of they're arguing about who was pointing first and how it's rude <laughs> funny as hell and just with it being quite a modern thing you know you know a, a quite a well-known spider-man you know just a quite a well-known meme sort of thing so i thought that was quite funny but the other tidbit and again spoiler you know if you've not seen spider-man far from home spoiler i thought it was awesome that jk simmons actually came back as j jonah jameson and he was bald and he was bald because he's worried so much that he's rubbed his head and it's all fallen he's out stressed so much but i just thought that was it was such a nice thing because obviously i grew up with the sam raimi spider-man films yeah and whenever I think or hear J. Jonah Jameson, when I'm, or you know, if I'm ever hearing that internal voice when I'm reading them in the comic book, it's J.K. Simmons. Like there are yeah. very few people that were born for that role. Yes, and it's kind of confirmed because there was never a J. Jonah Jameson in the Andrew Garfield films. You know, the, I think there was reference in the second film that Peter might have been doing freelance work, but it was just a cast off. Like, oh, that that editor doesn't pay you enough for the photos you're taking, and that was it. So after Far From Home, the, the sort of big reveal that, you know, he has his sort of like InfoWars styled podcast thing. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, I just thought it was really, really good. But Spider-Man has so much to him as a character, not only in terms of his rogues gallery, but just other characters and what have happened that, it, it, you know, it's sometimes easy to miss one. And, you know, I, I didn't realize that until you mentioned it but yeah uh, J. Jonah Jameson wasn't in it until the post credit scene so but I also didn't realize it was voiced by Stan the Man um, which is also another nice touch so that's yeah every day's a school day yes he obviously had his tra- kind of traditional cameo appearance in the film which is yeah. is always very funny anyway but mm. it was yeah it was nice to see because in terms of the voice work that is done on this film because he was fairly well, I mean, you know, Stan Lee was in his nineties by this point, and you know, tragically, is is no longer with us. And the film, yeah, the film does give memoriam to that fact. We have, yes, we have the 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 lovely traditional cameo from Stan Lee, but to to give him this additional role as well, as small as it is, but you know, for the fact that it's based on his character is lovely. And I just love the fact. One of the interesting things I found out was in the film. Stan Lee was the only one who was recorded at home. Now, he was quite old by that point, but the the filmmakers actually went to him and got his recording. He didn't come to them. And it is quite nice, yes, because it still allowed him that opportunity to get those cameos in. Because I think the last his last ever appearance was in the Captain Marvel cameo that he did. Six Infinity Stones, five Chainsaws... We have another film that comes in at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, we're not choosing these with this kind of pattern in view. We're choosing things that we want to discuss, that we've seen, that we enjoy. We want to revisit things. Extraordinary, 97%. Knives Out, 97%. And now 97% on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I've used the term perfect. Obviously... It's not 100%, it's 97%. But Empire, 5 out of 5 stars. The animation is like nothing we've ever seen before. And you know what? They're right. It is nothing we've seen before. Nobody 
has done this type of pioneering work before. Yeah. So 97%, 5 out of 5, I can't say any more than agree. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of context to the RogerEbert.com one. Uh, I think it was uh, Christy uh, Wiemeyer, I think her name might be. Apologies if I've butchered that. Now, I didn't realise that Ebert gave out of four stars. So when I read the review that they gave, it was three and a half out of four. I thought it was three and a half out of five. But when I read the review, I couldn't really find any fault with what, you know, they couldn't find any fault. So I thought, right, well, where's the star and a half went uh-huh. in? And it's really just half a star. So RogerEbert.com, Christy Lehmeyer, they gave it three and a half out of four. Um, saying that directors Bob Perchetti, Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman have breathed thrilling new life into a comic book into the comic book movie which i would agree i would agree with not to criticize too heavily the films that are you know the that are part of the mcu but there is a particular visual i mean they're not animation films obviously but there is a particular visual like um all the costumes are not nearly as bright as they would potentially be in a comic book um you know things like that and there's usually a sort of certain format it, they're not carbon copies of each other but I think as the MCU progressed up to at least Infinity War, some of them were getting kind of predictable. Like you could sort of see what was coming, but that's a whole other thing. But uh, RogerEbert.com gave three and a half out of four. And the New York Times said, this lively, diverse comic book movie brings some fun to a genre that often takes itself too seriously. Now, I would agree with that. Obviously said time and time again, I'm a big fan of comic books and comic book films and superhero films. And I would agree with that. I'm not going to go on too much about this, but I think when the Chris Nolan Batman films came out, it was an interesting take. It was a very cool, live world take of, right, if Batman was actually a multi-billionaire in reality, what equipment would he use? And it would be prototype army and marine equipment and things like that. And that was how he got his gadgets. Lots of sort of real world, slightly more realistic ways of how he would become Batman. But I think I think that became a bit of a, a trend and people tried to achieve that in different films instead of treating it as a comic book film. Don't get me wrong, things like Thor Ragnarok and Ant-Man are almost comedy films first, superhero yes. films second. Like, they're really, really funny. Ant-Man's a crime keeper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there is an element of that that are... I always, I always like the term gritty reboot. Because obviously films are still kind of going through it, but definitely over the last sort of 10, 10 years, that's all that was coming out. Oh, we're doing a reboot of this or we're doing another reboot of that. And it was always darker and it was always grittier. And I guess to fit in with the theme of this, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man films, I keep calling them the Andrew Garfield ones, but it's because he was Peter Parker in it. They did, I think that was kind of what they were going for. They went back to things like using web shooters rather than organic web, and Gwen Stacy was the love interest instead of Mary Jane. So they, you know, they did make changes. Yes. And I enjoyed quite a bit of those films, but they're not my favourite, but there were parts that I really quite enjoyed. Darkening his costume and changing like the, the sort of eye lenses, you know, visually that looked already a bit grittier he almost goes on like a sort of like revenge spree kind of thing in in the 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 first one instead of doing the whole wrestling thing and you know that that you know they've done it slightly differently and he goes looking for anyone that could have been the guy that shot uncle ben and stuff like that and 
that was a little bit darker and you know th- things like that so I, I would i would agree with the new york times yeah. you know i think not all superhero films but definitely quite a few more of them were maybe kind of following that kind of darker grittier real world i think that the, it sounds like that quote from the new york times is certainly taken more of a dig i would say at dc because and certainly probably the snyder films mm-hmm. dc probably struggled to find their way until Wonder Woman and then even then tonally they were still not fully matching what Marvel was outputting. I don't think DC fully got yeah. it right until Shazam. But they're still make they're still making mistakes. Yeah. Suicide Squad, the tone of that's all over the mm-hmm. place. I know you enjoyed Birds of Prey. I felt it was a bit of a mess. Right. Especially in terms of the villain. And again the tone it's almost like it just doesn't know what it wants to be whereas yeah okay yeah with shazam it was oh this is the first time that i'm laughing out loud they're getting the balance of the kind of the the darkness in terms of Mm. the villain and the storyline and it felt now you should you probably should never because there'll probably be fans of DC and Marvel out there that will crucify for me this way. You probably should never like compare the two. But when you've got studios, movie studios that are at war with each other and they're trying to, you know, Marvel is established. Disney owns Marvel. Marvel has a set formula and it works very very well for it. DC has been trying to find that and catch up, and it it hasn't caught up until Shazam came out because then it's the first time you could actually say huh feels like a Marvel movie I, I see what you mean yeah no I, to- I, I totally agree and yeah it, it was a bit of a tricky one with the DC films because uh, I'm a big fan of Batman comics so, you know there's some Superman comics I really quite enjoy as well personally I actually enjoyed Man of Steel I thought it was I quite enjoyed it as a Superman film Man of Steel kind of looked like what a Superman film would look like if it was made or directed by Chris Nolan. You know, the way the costume looked, the way the story progressed, the way things were explained and, you know, stuff like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it worked better for Batman and I'm not really sure it would translate to anyone else. But things with Shazam was a little bit more self-aware, quite a bit more comical. The costume was bright. It was almost as if it was pulled straight out of the comic book. So I think they went for something different and it worked because I was a bit sceptical about watching Shazam and then, I I don't know, I just watched it one day and I was very surprised and pleasantly as well. It was really funny. It was really good. got me right in the emotions when it needed to. It was, uh, yeah, it was really good. But you... The, the fact that you draw that comparison now because of how well-established Marvel films are. It's not that it's a backhanded comment, it's just it's the way things are. Like, you know, Marvel kind of got this going quicker and better than anyone else, so it's kind of the way it is at the moment. Warner Brothers is still one of the big six. Now, when I say the big six, I'm talking about the original six movie studios, okay? And Disney is now controlling everything. I mean, Disney do not own or control Warner Brothers but Warner Brothers are having to take stock and ask themselves why are we not making billion dollar films now they managed it with Wonder Woman they got fairly decent profit with Shazam Mm -hmm. they're hoping to do new things by perhaps jumping on the Disney formula of reboots sequels 
delayed sequels because Warner Brothers are doing Fix 4. And oh, yeah. I do think that they are taking stock in what is happening. So some people might feel that the comparisons are unfair, but in such a competitive business could be the difference between your very survival. Yeah. Bloomhouse survives because it uses very small budgets and very tight margins and the films that it has as an output are unique. I mean, I watched The Invisible Man, which is a Bloomhouse-produced film. It's written and directed by Lee Wannell, who wrote Saw and The Conjuring and Insidious. It was getting released right at the start of COVID-19 lockdown. So therefore, they released it straight away onto streaming services so that you could still get the benefit of that. And what he has done with a classic tale of The Invisible Man, it is, it's, it's unique, it's science fiction, it's horror on a very limited budget that, that works. We talked about the budget of Extraordinary that we didn't really know last week, but we knew that it got funding from Belgium, from the Irish Lottery, and yet the special effects in that are fantastic. Yeah, and yet true. you Very can watch true. films with 250 million budgets. And even I think about the the animation that is in Spider-Man 3, when New, New Goblin is yeah. attacking Spider-Man and he's trying to get the ring and things like that. It's like watching... It's like it's like playing a computer game on, on the original PlayStation. The, yeah. It was so ropey, but <laughs> they didn't have the budget for it. And yet, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse goes beyond anything we've seen before on 90 million. And I just think about all these films that have these huge, unnecessary mm. budget. And maybe maybe it's time for them to rein it in. Yeah. No, I think you, you could be right. Because maybe we're needing to look at at things in terms of budget a bit more objectively maybe 90 million is actually a pretty decent budget or a high-end budget for an animation film because the actors and crew aren't needing to be taken to any kind of location they're not needing to do much in the way of things like motion capture or cgi the entire thing's animation and like you said i had a crew of like 175 animators i mean that's apparent like the the animation is super detailed and very clever and done really really well so don't get me wrong if someone offered me 90 million dollars to do anything um or just as a cash gift yeah i wouldn't bemoan it um that's a pretty high that's a pretty high budget that's a that's a pretty decent way of, i say a decent way of living it's a very expensive way of living but in terms of making a film i know what you mean 90 million in terms of modern day film productions is not it's not a great deal of money not anymore it used to be but it's not not average as it were is what i'm trying to get across it's not the average, especially for like a, when you look at the kind of summer blockbusters out there. Now, I have to ask what kind of other superhero movies or let's try and keep it niche with superhero animations. Okay. What would you recommend people to revisit or perhaps even watch for the first time having watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? I'll, I'll do animation films or more kind of animation oriented animation films first i'm a big fan of wakia 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 the sort of stop motion studio that do things like box trolls and Coraline. yes so yes, i would I recommend almost yeah. anything made by them because again stop motion the films look great but the stories for every film are really good as well but my personal favorite is kubo and the yes. two strings 
which was done in 2016. Really, really good, good film. Thank you very much. Um, really good film, and I can't recommend it highly enough. So that, or even Paranorman or Coraline, just anything by Wakia, they're putting out some really good films. In terms of superhero comic book films, I've really tried to refine it and rein it in. And, you know, some might not be overly surprising, but, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, the original with Tobey Maguire in 2002, The Dark Knight with Christian Bale and Heath Ledger, and, you know, that's that's always an incredible film. That's always a good watch. In terms of animation, though, not necessarily like a sort of 3D animation, um, but DC or Warner Brothers put out Batman Under the Red Hood in 2010. And that was that's really good. And you don't have to... You could maybe do with a little bit of context with the relationships between Batman mm-hmm. and the different Robins for it to maybe have its full impact. But it's, it's just a really good film and it feels a bit more like a detective film. You know, he's trying to find out who is under the Red Hood. And, you know, he's, the Red Hood's a, a ruthless kind of anti-hero slash bordering on villain. But uh, yeah, I would definitely watch that. Does it strip it back to what Batman really was originally, though? You know, a detective. A little bit, yeah. And I've, I always enjoy the Batman stories that are a bit more orientated to him not only punching people through walls, but actually thinking, you know, almost like Sherlock Holmes with pointy ears. But he can also bench press a car or whatever. So, um, <laughs> you know. That's so. a really good analogy. <laughs> it's also a weird image, but yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, those would be my sort of recommendations. Um, what about you? What would uh, what would you recommend for any kind of animation or superhero film? Or I was thinking about this quite quite hard because you don't have well, I say you don't have a lot of kind of superhero animations, but I want to kind of stay clear of some of the more obvious ones, which is why I really liked your choice of Kubo and the Two Strings. Hmm. because it's not an animation that everybody knows. It's one of these ones that kind of fleeted under the radar and it's by a leader in stop motion animation i mean i i think more people need to see those films especially like box trolls but i'm not going to go down that kind of that kind of route because you've already done it for me i'm going to go back to the past you might have just been born actually okay 1992 were you born (laughs) in 92 yeah 92 uh november 92 we are going back to the year of your birth 1992 do you know what? Somebody might correct me. It might be 1991. It might you might have been you you were either born oh, okay. or you were kicking wildly in the womb because you knew this movie was out there and you couldn't get access to it. <laughs> Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Ah, uh, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, what a great film. Possibly one of the most underrated Batman movies, and yet people do polls for what are the greatest Batman movies, you tend to find that that is in the top five. Yeah. Because you're growing up watching the animated series and you have a great Batman and Kevin Conroy, then to have the 90-minute film Mask of the Phantasm to to give him more than just a little episode or an arc of episodes, it was just needed at that time we had tim burton's batman obviously but the animation i mean i love the animated batman tv series but nobody had done this classic kind of again to go back to that classic 
detective yeah. that Batman is. That's what the mask gave me because you're because everybody's wondering from the start, even before they've watched the movie, who is behind the mask. And that's the whole point of the movie is you've got all these kind of other kind of little plot details, but it's who and he's investigating that. And when the revelation happens. It's it's good. I'm I'm actually not going to spoil that for people yeah, because yeah. I think that if you are a fan of Batman, it's a film that people need to go and revisit, and it's quite easy. It's quite easy to find on streaming yeah. devices nowadays. So, I'm going to go with that. And in terms of live action, you obviously mentioned that for you growing up, very much Tobey Maguire was kind of like your Spider Man. For a lot of people, he will be their Spider-Man. For me, that's who I'm seeing, okay? And then, for other people, it'll be Andrew Garfield. For other people, it'll be Tom Holland. They've all got their own thing to give. I'm going to say Spider-Man 2, mainly because we have a fantastic villain. And I, I, I'm always drawn to villains, but a villain that gauged sympathy from me, played by British actor Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Mm. He was psychotic but we understood him at the same time and also i think for a good villain a good villain should be conquered and they should get some sort of comeuppance and doc ock does drown quite tragically yeah. at the end of that even after he has been redeemed oh yeah yeah i always like alfred molina in that film because the train sequence alone is one of the greatest action sequences in a superhero film put to celluloid and it's got everything that that i want you can watch it now and you can obviously see the maybe ropey kind of special effects here and there but i think for the time it was 2004 spider-man 2 actually picked up an oscar for best visual effects spider-man into the spider-verse got best animation so I am going to go with Spider-Man 2 purely because of the... I think it has one of the greatest villains in comic book film adaptation history. Nice. Um, I'll get one last nerdy thing in there as well. Alfred Molina's Doc Ock was quite good because he wasn't arrogant. If you read almost any Spider-Man comic involving Doc Ock, it's almost always Doc Ock's um, arrogance that's his downfall because he overlooked something or he under he underestimated someone or something right. or usually Spider-Man. Whereas in that one, you know, his you know, his personality had been changed because the inhibitor chip had been broken or whatever on the on the metallic arms. So he was I think originally he seemed almost reluctant, yes. you know, had almost like a bit of a split personality, but he was a villain and he was a very good villain. But it was a it was a different kind of Doc Ock, but it still worked really well. Because even if you watch like the ninety the nineties cartoon, Doc Ock's incredibly arrogant, always talking about how intelligent he is and how smart he is, and you know how everyone else is an idiot. But whereas in this, it's kind of like you know he's he's just trying to finish this project, and he's obviously grieving from you know what happened to his wife and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I quite liked uh, like the performance was ridiculously good by Alfred Molina. It was really 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 good. So yeah, no good choices. Really good choices. Wow, just complete cellular decay. Never seen anything like this. What are you doing? I'm just taking the whole thing. And obviously you've been glitching. Glitching? No. Why would you even say that? You stay in this dimension too long, your body's gonna disintegrate. Do you know how painful that would be, Peter Parker? Uh, I don't know. You can't imagine. And I, for one, can't wait to watch. What did you say your name was? 
Dr. Olivia Octavius. Can I assume that your friends call you Doc Ock? My friends actually call me Liv. My enemies call me Doc Ock. I got this! Run! Sticking to the subject of Doc Ock briefly, what did you think of Octavia Octavius? Now this was this was one of the things I really enjoyed about one of the many things I really enjoyed about in the Spider Verse was that because things were taking place in different universe universes or parallel universes, it meant that you know some things had changed. Like I mentioned earlier in Gwen's reality, Peter was the lizard. And instead of Gwen losing her dad as the tra- as the sort of great tragedy that made her become a hero, it was losing Peter. And yeah, having Liv, <laughs> Liv Octa- yeah, Octavia, I thought it was really good. And I thought the character design was really cool. Instead of having these sort of uh, traditional metallic arms that were kind of like these sort of synthetic, almost like plastic kind of rubber looking things, but you know, by no means less powerful or anything scorpion had had a bit of a a redo tombstone was fairly traditional and like like we discussed earlier kingpins always kind of looked the same apart from obviously uh, in the ben affleck daredevil film where it was michael clark duncan i I still liked him as the kingpin but it's because he is a strong deep voiced powerful character that has presence you know you would have done that role really well regardless but yeah. i really liked it and there is actually i don't know if it's a relatively recent character but there is actually a, a lady octopus rather than doc ock because i'm not going to get into it I, I could go on for days but spider-man sorry dr octopus is currently the superior spider-man in the comic books and he's inhibited a clone of Peter Parker's body. <laughs> Honestly, it's a complete mind muck. It is dead hard to follow, but he is currently a, ruth- a slightly more ruthless, efficient Spider-Man in I think it's San Diego. I think. I think he left. I think he left. Um, but um, it's 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 worth a read. Um, it's definitely interesting. But yeah, going back to your original question, I, I quite liked the character design, and I quite liked uh, Liv Octavia. I thought she was quite funny quite good sticking with villains what did you think of prowler prowler is a bit of an odd one i haven't come across him in anything much i've read a couple of comics that had him but i really liked the comparison it it almost seems that if you are in a spider-man film and you're someone's uncle you're gonna snuff it and he did unfortunately but i i kind of i seem to remember thinking that i knew who it was i seem to remember thinking all right I, like I, I kind of pegged it earlier, um, earlier on in the film. Like, oh, it's probably who it is. But you know, quite, quite a quite a scary character. Um, has has its own kind of uh, is it a motif? You know, where you have your kind of own sort of theme music. You know how like in the Dark Knight, you have the razor blade going over a cello string. You know, you hear that kind of almost like high pitched kind of distorted roar kind yes. of thing. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I'll I'll answer. I'll I'll touch on this yeah, actually because. So Prowler, who turns out to be Uncle Aaron, mm-hmm. which pretty much is Miles Morales' version of Uncle Ben. Yeah. Okay. So Miles Morales does have his dad. He has his mum. But in terms of people who truly kind of know him, truly get him, 
then it's his Uncle Aaron. But his Uncle Aaron is the black yeah. sheep. And his dad knows this. His dad's a police officer and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. for Prowler to turn out to be Uncle Aaron and then to have that kind of... I'm not going to say origin moment, but it's kind of that defining moment of discovering who you are. Like I said, defining moment. he is yeah. the Uncle Ben to Miles Morales in, in terms of his origin story. But... You're talking about motif there and this roar. So Prowler needed to have presence. Now, he's quite an intimidating character. He's got dressed in all black, but with Mm. purple and green kind of luminescent thing uh, on his suit. But when he moves and when he glides around things, he has this sound effect that follows him. Okay, Like, as a motif. Hello, Mr. Fisk. I've got the security tapes from the tunnel right here. The kids are out there. I'll find them. You know me, sir. I don't ever quit. Now, a lot of people think that it is a lion Mm -hmm. or a tiger. It is a sound that has been distorted. It's an elephant. So it is a roar, but it's an elephant's roar. And the Ah. writers were very specific in that they wanted a sound Ah, that sounded menacing but sympathetic so they went with an elephant's roar that's your sfx so sound effects there okay but it follows him as a motif and it gives his villain presence because prowler doesn't have a great deal to do other than really add to miles's kind of origin lady doc ock i thought was a really good touch with the as you say kind of synthetic not synthetic uh, kind of plasticky robotic arms but certainly still durable because i quite liked what sam raimi did with the tentacles which became mouths that were whispering to doc ock and controlling Mm. him so it's nice to see these different versions of villains you mentioned tombstone there tombstone just he was there and he doesn't he didn't he, he was just tombstone that was it yeah, yeah what did you think about aunt may now aunt may in recent films i can't remember the name of the actress that plays her in the tom holland films marissa tomley yeah now obviously every iteration every live action iterations had a different kind of aunt may um it was sally sally field um and you had uh you had rosemary harris who was uh, aunt may in the sam raimi films now, I grew up in the I grew up with the nineties cartoons where Aunt May was always a bit more, a, a bit maybe a bit older, a bit more vulnerable. You know, definitely another person that Peter has to protect at all costs, kind of thing. In Into the Spider Verse, she was far more stronger, far more not not resilient, but like she, she knew, like she knew the secret first of, first and foremost. Like she was completely aware. She probably helped. Peter in that universe like come up with his kit and costumes and this that and the next thing. I def- she, she's almost like uh, Alfred the butler. Yeah almost yeah pretty much. Um, because yeah. 
This is, this is me being really picky here, okay? She definitely must have helped with the gadgets. And there's, there's, she has to have helped Miles as well because the spidey suits that Peter wears that Miles adapts, they wouldn't fit him. So I'm sure that she got her uh, her thread out mm. and uh, adapted it <laughs> prior to him putting the yep. suit on so that nobody would sit going, well, yep. uh, how come that suit now suddenly fits him? It's because Aunt, it's because Aunt May got her sewing <laughs> machine out and fixed it. I, th- I just found it really kind of it was a really touching moment like I'll, I'll go on record and I'll say that I played the Spider-Man video game for the PlayStation 4 that came out oh thank goodness I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna tell me you played Aunt May at school there was never yeah we never done the musical um at my high school <laughs> no um I'm not gonna ruin anything but there's an, a deeply emotional moment Spider-Man game involving Peter and Aunt May and it brought a tear to my eye I do not cry at films cry full stop very much but that that really got me um so that it was a really touching moment when peter b parker you know got to meet aunt may from this reality because he had obviously lost his um and i thought it was really nice and it's because aunt may has and probably always will be a major part of peter's life regardless of what iteration whether it's in a comic book if it's in an animation if it's live action aunt may yes is part of that character because she's a good moral compass and as well as someone else for Peter to try and protect, but and in, in, in into the Spider Verse, it yeah. kind of seemed like she could take care of herself. We should we should probably go. Peter, we're literally on the doorstep. Bad idea. Bad idea. This is a bad idea. You guys are all very sweet, but no more fans today, please. I'm not ready for this. Peter. So this is gonna sound crazy, but I'm pretty sure that I'm from an... An alternate dimension. Yeah. You look tired, Peter. Well, I am tired. And older. And thicker. Yeah, I've heard that already. Oh, jeez, are those sweatpants? Yep, that's what they are. I was there. When it all happened. I'm so sorry. And what dimension are you from? Brooklyn? Did Peter have a place where we could make another one of these? What Cooper? Follow me. Oh yeah, I got one of these too. There's a little shed where I keep my spider gear. What I really like is is we don't ever see a definitive no, version of no. Aunt May. She's changed. In Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, she is quite scared and vulnerable, but mm. still knows how to stand up for herself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sally Field, the, the shoulder to cry on. Yeah. Marissa Tomley, she's probably best well known as being the hot aunt. <laughs> That everybody fancies, <laughs> and now we have we have Aunt May in Spider Man into the Spider Verse, 
and she can completely take care of herself. I mean, she opens the door yeah. and she has a baseball bat in hand. Yeah. When we actually first eat, meet Aunt May, there's 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 two little Easter egg nods which are quite nice. Because Peter B. Parker actually fires a web at her front door, at her window, there's a web across the window and she steps out and she closes the door. The web is behind her and it very much looks like Madame Web. I'm not going to go ah, into any more detail than that, but okay. it was just quite a nice little nod. But also the fact that she picks up a... Mm. She's got the baseball bat. She actually uses it against Tombstone. She knows how to handle herself. She knows how to make gadgets. She is the Alfred oh, yeah. of this Marvel Spider-Man universe. The actress who does the role is comedienne mm. Lily Tomlin. And Lily Tomlin played... Oh, yeah. Lily Tomlin played the mother in East Bound and Down, which stars Danny McBride as the washed up baseball star, Kenny Powers. And in, in that she comes out oh, right, yeah. swinging a baseball bat when she's first <laughs> Right, right, okay. And again, I'm sure that Lord and Miller especially will have connections and ties there that I don't know, but hmm. they do mention that there is a deliberate connection between having Aunt May with a baseball bat and having Lily Tomlin as the voice. And that's certainly the most recent thing that I can spot is voice of washed up baseball star Kenny Powers who can handle herself and uses a baseball bat to fend off bad people. So again, it's like that kind of Easter egg. These guys know their Easter eggs. We, we could probably mm. fill a whole show with Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah probably. I think yeah. my favourite Easter egg that I saw in the whole film was when the Super Collider is collapsing on itself and everything is going back to normal. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller obviously wrote and co-directed Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. So when the Super Collider actually collapses in of itself, you see one of the <laughs> things that's sucked into it is the machine from Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. The Surfer Furfener. Oh, <laughs> is it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> You can clearly see it, but you can you you can do frame by frame if you want. Split second I didn't, thing. I, I didn't do frame by frame. I'm not that sad. <laughs> Favorite <laughs> moment from the film, Duke? Oh, probably the moment where it all clicks for Miles when he's uh, sort of standing on the building and he takes yeah, I suppose he takes that kind of leap of faith. He's got his costume. He's got the web shooters. He's been to see Aunt May and he's you know he's wanting to do his part. I think as he's as he's diving you know down that skyscraper kind of thing. I think that's that's probably one of my favourite moments. Like the music, the, the the sort of colour palette of all the buildings at you know yeah. of uh, Brooklyn at that time of night. All those things you know it just kind of gave me goosebumps and it was definitely like a sort of all the pieces of finally come together and kind of clicked into place so yeah that, that'll be my favorite moment what about yours my favorite bit is when they have infiltrated alchemaxim and they're actually coming out of that and peter b parker or miles i can't remember which throws a bagel at one of the scientists mm. and it actually has a word bubble onomatopoeia pop-up that says Bagel. Uh, and the animator <laughs> yeah. actually petitioned to have that in the film. He showed it to, to the writers and they loved it so much that, yes, bagel. <laughs> obviously if you throw a bagel, it makes a bagel noise when it hits somebody. They had to have that. I love that little moment. It just, it shows the humour that's in it. So after this is finished, I'm going to go and throw a bagel at my daughter and 
Hopefully it'll make a bagel sound. <laughs> yeah, see if it does. It's okay. Bagels are pretty harmless as well. They're just br- <laughs> it's just bread, so she'll be fine. She'll be fine. Yeah, don't throw it too hard. <laughs> ah, this would be a good time to turn invisible. Yep. Okay, not gonna turn invisible. Selecting a bagel. Act super normal. Spider Man. You know that's funny. I get that a lot. Hey. Now we do a switchy switchy. What? Get back here. Where do you think you're going? Hey, All right, time to swing, just like I told you. In terms of other podcasts, other kind of films, what kind of recommendations have you got for our listeners this week, Duke? Well, I'm a relatively keen outdoorsman. I always enjoy a good adventure story. So if you're into, if you're interested in that at all, give uh, Jason Fox Wild Tales a listen. That's really good. I'm, I think, two and a half episodes in um, and he just talks to some really interesting people that have went on some incredible expeditions and to some ridiculous parts of the world and you just kind of hear their stories so that's a really good podcast if you're if you kind of like adventuring and uh, expeditions and stuff so that's uh, that's doug's recommendation for the week uh yeah so what, what recommendations have you got well i have been watching for the first time the bbc sitcom outnumbered all oh, right yeah stars uh, claire skinner and hugh dennis they've got their three children who are quite socially awkward and have no filter in anything they say and not only is it very very funny but being a a father to to two girls myself it's unbelievably (laughs) scary at the same time i feel sometimes like i am watching a documentary and (laughs) i have lived these moments so wow i would recommend to Anybody who's in that kind of similar boat, if you've never watched Outnumbered, I mean, I I put off watching Outnumbered for years because I just didn't fancy it. I'd seen clips and things like that. And obviously, you run out of things to watch during lockdown. And Outnumbered, we just decided to to give it a go. And very, very funny and very realistic. Scarily realistic. Brilliant. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Nice, Outnumbered. Good recommendation. Yeah, I guess that's... Guess that's it for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. A perfect animation film, perfect film by oh, Perfect in capitals. Yeah, and not just our eyes, but in well, I don't think any of the anyone else gave it perfect, but it was pretty damn close. So yeah, so that's uh, that's in it the Spider-Verse. Hope uh, hope anyone that's listening uh, enjoyed it and maybe agreed with some points or can enlighten us on maybe some things that we we might have been slightly off with. As always, add any comments, add any likes, subscribe or or follow. You can now hear us via SoundCloud. You can hear us on Spotify. You can hear us on iTunes. We will gladly give a shout out to anybody or or answer Mm -hmm. any questions if you want to get in touch with us. What are we we doing next week? What's next week's film? Next week's going to be interesting. We've dealt with different genres, all of which have included comedy. Yeah. And I feel that comedy seems to be this underlying element in the films that we look at. Not necessarily the main element, but an underlying element. So I'm I'm going to continue with that kind of theme. And I'm going back to 1995. You're three years old. I'm 15 (laughs) years old. That sounds really weird. We didn't know each other at the time, so it was fine. No. And I am going to go with the teen comedy Clueless. Ah, okay, cool. Right. If anything, I just really want to discuss 
the immortality that is Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, that, that's, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. So, yeah, Coilus. Right, okay. Right. Coilus it is. Next week I'll get it found and I'll get it watched and uh, we shall compare notes. Excellent. Please, people that are going to listen in for next week, watch Clueless, revisit Clueless. Again, we want you to, to watch these things as we discuss them, as we share likes, dislikes. We give our own rating system as well. And who knows? We, we've had one perfect score. Will we have a, another perfect score? I don't, I don't think so, mm. but <laughs> it's certainly <laughs> going to be interesting. We like to end on quotes. So just before I sign out, I want to just raise my glass to the real heroes of Spider-Man. Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, both are no longer with us. And I think at this time during lockdown, when people are putting their lives on risk on the front line at the NHS... I think Stan Lee really summed up what a superhero is. And right now, any NHS staff, any people working in a supermarket, anybody who is doing their extra bit to help us get through this crisis, to me, you are the real superheroes. So I'd just like to end with with Stan Lee's quote before I I sign out over to Duke. And Stan Lee said, that person who helps others simply because it should or must be done and because it is the right thing to do is indeed, without a doubt, a real superhero. That's really nice. Until I catch up with you next time, Doug, I will leave it over to you and I will bid everybody adieu. Stay safe, stay well. Picks out. Yeah, well, mine's isn't as um, fitting or, you know, good. But uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to finish off with uh, Spider-Ham. Uh, that's all, folks. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's legally allowed to say it or not. But um, yeah, but thanks for listening and uh, that's all, folks.